Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Good morning again. My name is Brandon, and uh, I have the honor and pleasure to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you today. Um, We're going to be looking at the book of Zephaniah. Um, So you have it in your Bibles, you can open up to Zephaniah. Um, But before we dive in, I want to pray together. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father God, you utilize the words in the Bible to speak to us. God, you spoke through many authors but they're all inspired by you. God, we can discover your heart, not only for your people back then, but your heart for people today. God, allow us to glean from your message what you have for us, not only to learn, but to do. God, we thank you that you, in an amazing, amazing ways, weave together not only a message of what you're going to do, but also a message of what you're going to do in us. So we thank you for that and pray that you just speak in this time. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Now this summer we have been looking at the minor prophets. If this is your first time or you're like me and you can space out a little bit, um, the minor prophets are 12 books in the Old Testament. They're minor not because their message is minor, but because their books are small, okay? So there's small, 12 small prophetic books in the Old Testament in comparison with with major prophets who give a very similar message, but their books are a lot longer, all right? So if you ever look in the Bible and you're like, wow, this one's long, these ones are short. Message, still God's word, just different in size, and we're looking at the minor prophets, We've been looking at prophets like Hosea, Obadiah, and this morning we're going to turn to the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a a wonderful book, um, but it's a little bit different than some of the others. At at an initial glance, it might look similar, um, but let me tell you more about why it's a little different. I'm going to read for you a poem. I know growing up, uh, this, this, this poet was someone that I became more familiar with. I had a couple of his books. Um, but but the, the poet Shel Silverstein, does it ring any bells for you? Okay, oh, it does, good. Last night they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <clears throat> this, this poem's called Messy Room by Shel Silverstein. Whoever's room this is should be ashamed. His underwear is hanging on the lamp. His raincoat is there on the overstuffed chair and the chair is becoming quite mucky and damp. His workbook is wedged in the window. His sweater's been thrown on the floor. His scarf and one ski are beneath the TV, and his pants have been carelessly hung on the door. His books are all jammed in the closet. His vest has been left in the hall. A lizard named Ed is asleep on the bed, and his smelly old sock has been stuck to the wall. Whoever's room this is should be ashamed. Donald, or Robert, or Willie, or, huh? You say it's mine? Oh dear, I knew it looked familiar. (laughs) 
Poetry is not just what is said, but it's how it's said. Poetry uses, in this case, uses rhyming, rhythm, cadence to get across a particular point. Now, is the point of this poem to illustrate that the room is messy? Maybe at first glance. But as you, as you hear the, the rhythm, as you look at the cadence and see the changes that happen, you begin, the author is making a broader statement about human nature. You see, it can be so easy to be condescending, to be harsh on people other than yourself, to be able to think through a message of judgment. And this is what the poet does. This is what the author does. But then as things become more familiar, his voice and cadence change. I mean, he doesn't even know that it's his room even though he knows the name of the lizard. But then he changes it and says, oh, oh, I knew it looked familiar. That, that rhyming, that rhythm that changes. And what it shows us is we can be so much harsher on other people that, that we can be judgmental towards other people's mess. And then when we realize it's our own, we can be blind to our own mess. We don't see those things. The poem that Shel Silverstein wrote is pretty similar to what we find in the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah wrote a poetic book aimed at telling the people about God's love and justice. And he starts his poem by telling the people that he is going to sweep them away. He says, I will utterly, completely remove you. I will sweep you away. I will take away the mess. The mess that the people of Israel in the kingdom of Judah experienced isn't that different from the mess that we experience. See, because people aren't that different. If you look at people in the Old Testament, sometimes the tendency is to look like, you know, they didn't know what was going on. But they were still you and I. They still were like us, and they still dealt with the same things. And they still had mess like we do. But the temptation in the days of Zephaniah was to, to miss the mess that was in your own life as you looked at those around you. And we have that. We have, we have mess all around us in the broader world, our nation, our communities, our towns, our families, our jobs, our lives. What does God have to tell us about that mess? That's what Zephaniah talks about. So just like the poem, Zephaniah is that poetic masterpiece that's meant to be treated as a whole. And it's going to be hard to take a snippet of the section of Zephaniah without understanding the broader context. As we understand the broader context, then we're going to have an understanding of the book so that we might be able to perceive God's message for us. So this is how we're going to do it. We're going to look at the author. We're going to look at his context. We're going to gain an understanding of the first two chapters of Zephaniah, and then we're going to dial into chapter three in the climax of that book. And my hope 
is that we're going to be able to understand from the whole of Zephaniah what that message is for us today. Okay? Does that make sense? So we're going to process through that, and then we're going to, we're going to come back together at the end and say, okay, what does this have to say to us? Fantastic. The name Zephaniah means Yahweh hides. Now, some would, would uh, theorize that he has this name because Zephaniah was born in the days of Manasseh. If you know anything in the Old Testament histories, you know that Manasseh, from 2 Kings chapter 21, that Manasseh was not a good king. And you hear this in the scripture. It talks about they were not a good king. They did not follow the ways of the Lord. But Manasseh has additional information. It says that Manasseh was not only a, a bad king who followed in what his fathers did, but he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He built up idolatrous locations in the nation of Judah. And his, his apostasy came to a climax when he sacrificed his own child to a pagan god. It was a low point for the, ki for the king, but at the same time, Manasseh reigned for 50 years. He started reigning at the age of 12. In terms of kings of Judah, that's a long time. And so a young man dedicated to God, as Zephaniah was, his father, Cushi, who I just can't get over that name. Can we just like, I, I can't keep saying it without acknowledging, like that's kind of funny. But his father, Cushi, names him Yahweh Hides because a man who's dedicated to the Lord, a boy who's dedicated to the Lord, would be someone that Yahweh would need to hide during the days of Manasseh. But then when Zephaniah begins his ministry, it's under the days of Josiah. Now, again, if you know your Bible histories, you know that Josiah was a little bit of a different king than Manasseh was. See, Josiah brought about reforms in the kingdom of Judah. He changed how things were done. It says that in, 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 uh, in the Bible, it says that his high priest Hilkiah found a book of the law in like the, the, essentially like the basement of the temple, brought it out and was like, oh no, we've been doing things wrong. And so Josiah br brought about reforms to, to purge the nation of Israel of a lot of the pagan practices and confusion. There was a lot of confusion during the days prior to Josiah's reforms about Yahweh and what worship was. Even, even at times, who, who Yahweh as, as, as their, their God, like some people find in, in archaeology and some biblical scholars see like people got confused. They even thought like he was married to Asherah during this time, that, he, that, that Yahweh had a wife. And, and Josiah, through Hilkiah, finds the book of the law and is like, oh, he doesn't say any of that. And just so you have a greater context, does anybody know who Hilkiah's son is? The prophet Jeremiah. And so Zephaniah is ministering at this time, but Zephaniah's indictment on the people of Judah is for their idolatrous practices, their paganism, their syncretism, where they blend worship of Yahweh with worship of other pagan idols. So most would assume that Josiah and his, and his, before his reforms was when Zephaniah ministered, meaning the changes hadn't taken place just yet. Also in Zephaniah, he, he really speaks to the, the elite status of the Assyrians. Last week, if you were here with us, Rob talked about the Assyrian Empire. 
And if you want to look into like awful people in history, just look at the Assyrians. They, they, their whole economy was built upon like pillaging and burning and stealing. And when they would run out of money, they would go do it again. And, and so Zephaniah has some harsh words for Assyria and specifically the capital city of Nineveh. But from archaeology, we know that Nineveh was probably destroyed around 612 BC. And so Zephaniah's book also must have been spoken before that happened, or else he probably would have referenced it. And so since he didn't, we can probably place Zephaniah's book around 626 BC. Just before the prophet Jeremiah started doing his ministry, uh, and before really the Babylonian Empire came onto the scene. And so he speaks a poetic message to the people of Israel, to the people specifically in Judah. He starts off by giving a sweeping judgment of the people, talking about this thing that is called the day of the Lord. We have this essentially God's cleanup message to the people. He talks about how the day of the Lord is going to come and it's going to wipe away not only what is wrong, but man and beast, fish. It is, it is truly, God says, I'm going to take my broom and sweep you away. But then Zephaniah changes his message in verse 4 and speaks specifically to the people in the kingdom of Judah. Now, go back in history a little bit more. And under the reign of Hezekiah, you know that the Assyrians marched against the kingdom of Judah. But in a miraculous turn of events, God saves the city of Jerusalem, sends the Assyrians away, really debilitated as a nation, and rescues the people of Judah for for their fidelity to God and their dependence on him. But now Zephaniah says, oh, by the way, you favored nation, you people who hold yourself in this status, this place where the temple of Solomon to the Lord was built, it's not going to stand. His judgment is coming upon the city of Jerusalem, not only to the city, but its officials and its people. This is scandalous. This is, this is a people favored by God in miraculous ways, times that we can probably remember in our history. We have These people probably had grandparents and parents who remembered God's deliverance now coming back and saying, judgment is coming upon you. You will not be saved. That's what he tells them in Zephaniah chapter 1. Then he continues on in Zephaniah chapter 2, and he zooms out again. He goes out to the nations of the world. He speaks to the enemies of Judah to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. He speaks to the Philistines. He speaks to the Edomites, the Egyptians, the Assyrians. And he says, oh, by the way, the day of the Lord's coming for you too. You won't be saved as well. Something is going to happen to the known world that's going to change the political and power dynamics of the entire region. Everything that you've done, all the battles, all the conquering, all the armies, they will be laid waste as the day of the Lord comes. But then, God in this piece between 1-1 of Zephaniah and then about the midpoint of chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 3, we hear a voice. It's the voice of God through Zephaniah, but it's a change of voice. It's all been about the day of the Lord and judgment up to verse 3 of chapter 2. 
God says this, to the nations that are enemies of Judah. He says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So God speaks condemnation against the the people of Judah, those that were considered, those that were set apart for God, and then at the same time, he speaks a message of potential redemption to the enemies of Judah. What we begin to see in Zephaniah is the heart of God for all, of peop- all the people in that day. That even, even the enemies of Judah, those who come against the people, the privileged people of God, who have been set apart, that perhaps if you humble yourselves, enemies of God's people, perhaps if you change your ways and seek righteousness, perhaps I will hide you. We begin to see that God is telling us a special message that he's going to bring to its climax in chapter 3. And that's what we're going to get into now. So chapter 3 of Zephaniah, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screens. You can follow along in your Bibles. No judgment for whichever you choose. Zephaniah 3.1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their embattlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept my correction. Then your dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But they were all the more eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decisions is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them all my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. God is speaking to Judah's government and religious corruption here. He he really focuses in on how the city of Jerusalem, the capital of the kingdom of Judah, functions. What he tells them is that your kings, your prophets, and your priests are all doing things that are against what I have for you. He lays out every aspect of how they organize, how they govern, and indicts it. He says, first, your kings, your kings and your judges, those that organize the people and oversee the economy, they are doing what is wrong. It says they're like wolves that leave no scrap of the people that they're managing, the people they oversee till the morning. They're destroying the people. They're doing things for themselves. 
And not only are they doing things for themselves, but as you go back, you find that they're also doing things in a way that doesn't fear the Lord. Not just in their actions as they do their jobs, but also in their belief systems. That, that says, and it's a strange, it's a strange wording that happens in, in Zephaniah, but he talks about how the, the king's officials, they jump over the thresholds. You're like, what's up with that? It's like, it's like a tripping hazard? And it says it's actually rooted in, in pagan superstition to step on thresholds. That they've, they've blended this like, well, we honor the Lord, we worship the Lord, we're king under him, but we also have these like superstitions that are, that are woven into their lives. It tells them that they look to the stars but, but at the same time, say they're committed to the Lord. Not only does, does, he, does he get mad at the king and his officials, but the judges, those that oversee like economic proceedings, that, that they're, just, they're just doing things for themselves. They're taking advantage. Then, then he turns to the prophets and he says, and, and you are fickle and treacherous. See, prophets at that time were meant to bring the word of the Lord. They, they were meant to, to speak to the people, to bring God's clear voice to the kings, to the officials, so that they can gain direction of what God wants for them. But instead, they're indecisive and they're corrupt. I mean, you, you gain a glimpse of how this is supposed to function in, in, in the prophet Nathan and, and David in the, book of, in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. You, you hear this, that, that Nathan comes to David to speak to him about his, the nature of his relationship with Bathsheba, in his actions against the, the, the man Uriah and how he murdered Uriah and stole Bathsheba. But he does it in a way and speaks God's judgment to David. Yes, David was king, but he was a king under the Lord and God was putting a check on David. That is how prophets were supposed to function in the days of Israel. But they don't anymore. Then he turns his, his sight on the priests the priests were supposed to help a people remain set apart, holy, to administer the law, the thing that, that set the people of Israel from the other nations. And it, and it says in the passage here, it says that they profane what is holy and they do, they do violence against the law. So instead of preparing the people and showing them how they ought to live, they're hurting the very thing that God established for them to follow. But both priests, prophets, and kings in the days of Zephaniah were living in a way that God just wanted to get rid of them. But then Yahweh contrasts his nature with what they're seeing. Because the temptation is to look at the institution, to look at that, and then see that as a direct correlation between that and who God is. But God says this. He says, the Lord within her, within the city of Jerusalem, within the nation of Judah, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. God tells the people, he is still there. He is still righteous. He is still just. And he has a plan. We can move into that into the redemption and conversion of the corrupt in Zephaniah 11 through 13 of chapter 3. It says this, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. It's important there. 
For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones. You shall no longer be haughty in the holy, my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none, of, and none shall make them afraid. This is the end of Zephaniah's prophetic message his poetic message about God's love and justice. After this section, he moves into a song. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's important to note in chapter 3, verse 11, that he says to the people, you who have rebelled against me. Not, not your officials, not your kings, not your prophets, not your priests. You. He, he treats them as a collective whole. But then he also says that you shall not be put to the shame put be put to shame for the deeds that you did he tells the people who are corrupt that there is a way just as he begins to say in chapter 2 verse 3 about perhaps god will change things he tells them that he's going to do something to change their speech to change the way that they function He's going to do something, and that's why he tells them to wait for me. Wait for what I'm going to do, because after it, something is going to change. And that thing that's going to change is something in us, something in you, something in me, something in the people of Judah, where their speech will become pure, where they will be humble. But it's a message of hope, not just to those that are keeping themselves pure at that time, but to those that are corrupt. God will correct the pride. He will rebuke corruption. He will deal with the infidelity. Just as he said he's going to sweep away all that is wrong, he also is going to gather a remnant. It's actually a play on words here. He, the, the, the word where he talks about sweeping is, is asif, and then the word that he used to gather is ahasbai. And, and the, the author intentionally uses this wording to be able to have people understand. We, we miss it in our English, just as like if you try to translate an English joke into like Spanish, which we tried to do in our DR trip, it doesn't work. <laughs> and so we lose that in translation from the Hebrew too. But, but Zephaniah is making a couple plays on words here. He's saying, I'm going to sweep you away, but then I will gather you. He says also that, that those of you who humble themselves, that God will take you and hide you away. What does Zephaniah's name mean? Yahweh hides. But then God's going to do something to the people in which they will hide in Yahweh. The people of Jerusalem, as we mentioned in the beginning, aren't that different from people today. Look around us. Do you see any problems? See any issues? In, in the way in which we organized, the way in which things were overseen, aspects of how we do our daily decisions, our daily transactions, our economy. Anybody see anything? Anything that, that leads to the potential that there could be some corruption potentially somewhere? Any, anything that you see in, in how we seek to, to be God's voice? Does anybody take God's voice and change it? 
for their own liking, for their own desires? Anybody say what it means to be set apart and holy is different than what we find in the Bible? Does that ever happen? Do we just see it in the days of Zephaniah? No. No, we don't. And the temptation, just like Shel Silverstein, is to look outside, to look around us, those outside of us, and be judgmental, not realizing that I can be the one to try to use what God says, to be fickle about it, to deceive myself, that, that I can change what it means to be set apart and holy, that, that the mess of the room is not solely someone else's issue, but it's impacting even the world around me because of choices I make, because of things I do. But the message that God gives to the people of Judah in the days of Zephaniah through the prophet and this prophetic call of love and justice is a message of hope to you, to you and to me, that God wants to do something for, for me who has rebelled, for, for, for me, whose, whose dirty socket is on the wall that I don't recognize. God is calling us. God is calling us to do two things. Two things through the book of Zephaniah. The first is this, to look at ourselves and to see within us a way that is far from God. Psalms 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Treat me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. What, what are we currently doing that's marked by pride and arrogance? What was the, the issue of the days of Zephaniah of the people? They were prideful. Where do we not listen to God? Where, where do we look around us and just do what everybody else does instead of looking to what God calls us to do? Where are we not humble? Where are we not teachable? Zephaniah is speaking to a people that is really not teachable. But he tells them, I can change you. God will change you. Second, is in faith, in faith, give those things over to God as an act of submission. Please don't be deceived. You have no ability to reform yourself. I am not calling you to do something more, to try harder. Zephaniah is not telling the people that they're going to put in themselves a pure speech that they're going to put in themselves humility, that they're going to transform them so they might find peace in God by their own actions, by their own ways. Because what Zephaniah tells the people, he's going to do something new, that he's going to bring, a, bring out this new nation called Babylonia, and that he's going to bring his sweeping judgment, this aspect of the day of the Lord, upon all the nations of the world. But then he's going to save a remnant. And from that remnant, he's going to send someone Someone that we begin, as we read Scripture, to find that his name is Jesus. And that from this person, Jesus, that, that he is going to live in a righteous way. He's going to live as the Son of God because he is the Son of God. And he's going to die the death that you and I deserved so that we might be a people transformed. 
not by our own doing, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. See, Zephaniah is giving us a broad picture of what God is going to do, starting right after his ministry. So we can observe and look at ourselves and give that mess to God as an act of submission so that he has freedom to start his process in us. Because God wants to bring about a people, both in that day and today, that are marked by humility, that are transformed so that they can bring truth in a time where deceit is so common, that, that he can instill in us that humility, that faithfulness, so that we, in the midst of a, a storm of chaos, can be a people of peace. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon Podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.